0: farm labor woes, keeping farms supplied, and a concern about social distancing. Welcome to Around Farm Progress from the nation's leading agricultural information provider. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director for Farm Progress, and I'll be your host on this weekly program. Each week, we'll connect with different Farm Progress editors around the country to explore hot topics and ideas of interest in agriculture course this week we're talking about coronavirus or COVID-19 and how that is impacting different parts of our industry. On our virtual journey today we'll start in the northeast to talk about farm labor, we'll head to Kansas to talk about logistics and farm support, and finally we touch down in Indiana where we discuss what social distancing means to farmers and we even get a taste of some homeschool creativity. Let's head for the northeast. We're catching up with Chris Torres, editor of American Agriculturist, based out in Pennsylvania. Chris, in your part of the world, there are a lot of specialty crops um, and a lot of specialty labor, or H2A. I wanted to chat with you a little bit about what you're hearing in your part of the country. Uh, I've got some other information I've gotten on the national basis. But what's it like in the Northeast? I know there's a lot of other issues going on out there, but when you talk about farm labor, what are you hearing? (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: well, it's very—it's a fluid situation, just like everywhere else. Um, one area in particular that that's pretty unique is uh, is New York State. And I was talking to somebody yesterday. I'm um, actually talking to a farmer yesterday. And uh, in New York State, um, last year, if, if not everybody's aware, they passed a a new um, farm labor bill. And this new farm labor bill really mandates that. Any farm worker, um, any, any 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 farm worker cannot work past sixty hours a week um so they essentially can get paid overtime if they work past 60 hours a week mm-hmm. and they also are required to give their farm workers one day off a week so farm workers can't work seven consecutive days they have to have at least one day off so what this has created um and i'm not really sure how widespread this is but i, I was talking to somebody um yesterday of a unique situation this grower and i'm not going to identify him he's in a story on monday but you know i'll keep it for Monday so people can look at it. What he has done is um, he's actually increased or tried to increase the number of H-2A workers for this season. Last year he had 52. This year um, he was planning to get 11 more. And the, the, the challenge right now is that most of his H-2A workers he believes He's going to get for the season because you know um, it's a complicated process. But I guess you know just to make it simple, once you're in the H-2A system, uh, you don't have to go back. Um, you don't have to go back for for more in-depth interviews. You know um, they they let you essentially let you come back without without really going through all the the different things that you have to go through when you first apply. So he's going to get most of those workers back. The trouble is, the challenge is, is that the new workers that he wants um there's a good chance he's not going to get them um the reason that he's getting these new workers is because he was planning to um give uh, I believe it was 9 or 10 of his workers at a time a day off each day so that you know he would have coverage every single day so you know so so his whole his whole philosophy was getting more workers be able to give a certain number of workers a day off, one day off each day. I believe it was nine or 10 of his workers day off each day. And then he'd have all the workers he needs for his seven days a week. Well, now that plan is thrown. There's essentially a wrench in that plan. Now with the decision, I believe it was earlier this week, um, with the state Department um, deciding to go ahead and, uh, and stop, uh, I believe they stopped these applications completely because of social distancing and this whole fear with Covid-19. Now, since then, and I was on Google this morning and, and just doing some research. Um, since then, um, from what I've heard, the Department of Labor and uh, and the State Department have uh, have actually come out with an agreement, or at least they're working on possibly moving 20,000 workers whose contracts have expired on other farms. To go to farms that really are in need of workers, so we'll see how that works out. But for this particular grower, you know, it's 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 a concern, and and he's really, um, you know, I guess you know I asked him yesterday, you know, what are you going to do if you don't get those new workers? And really, it's going to be all hands on deck. I guess he's going to have to just do more work himself. He's he he's going to have to you know ask more of the of of uh, of his current employees um, to cover that. But again, he has to work with This idea that he has to stay, all of his employees, at least in New York State, have to stay within 60 hours a week or
0: he's going to pay overtime. So that's a unique situation in New York. Right. And to clarify a little bit, it was USDA and the Department of Labor that worked together yesterday to create a plan, which is the first that's ever happened, where an H-2A expiring contract can move to another farm. They've never done that before. Uh, The big challenge is that the Mexican embassy closed. And so yep. they're not processing anything. And ninety more than 90% of H-2A workers come out of Mexico. The other other countries are Guatemala, Jamaica, South Africa. Again, there are limits on all of those. We're watching this very closely. It is a fluid situation. The news from USDA and the Department of Labor yesterday was fantastic because that's an opportunity for guys and gals that are already on the ground in the United States to maybe just shift to another farm. And like you say, your New Yorker are. It's interesting from your standpoint and to listen and hear that a state law is causing a problem with the national labor program. I mean, it's the interaction between those. Um, When we, when you look at this, when you talk to other farmers or everything, is there another, any other growing sense of concern or do they think they can just, they'll just, obviously they'll figure it out. They're not going to leave crop in the field.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, in, 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 like you said, I mean, up here in the Northeast, you know, you have a lot of small farms, um, a lot more small acreage. We don't have the the type of uh, multi-thousand acre farms that there's some of them, but not as many not as many out in the Midwest. So, um, in particular with dairy farms, um, you know, I don't know how much of this is going to be an issue um, with labor. But one thing that 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 has come up, and I think that one thing that the state agencies of agriculture are actually realizing is that, you know, farmers themselves, many are older, many have underlying health conditions farmers themselves are are in a very high risk are in the high risk category for this for this particular disease and what they're they're urging farmers right now is to have some sort of plan in place so that if they would happen you know god forbid if they would happen to get sick that they have a plan in place where they have somebody else who can essentially come right in and and do the job that that they can't do and i think that a lot of that is focused on dairy farmers Again, there's a lot of dairy farmers. My brother-in-law, actually, he lives in Western Pennsylvania. And before he um, before he transitioned to beef, he milked all the cows himself. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on out here. So so they're really pushing farmers um, to get sort of like that, uh, to set up that next next guy in line to take over in case they would get sick. One interesting program that they have going on in Vermont, actually, which um, caught my eye and I'm doing a story on. Uh, NOFA VT, which stands for the Northeast Organic Farmers Association, they actually created a program this week where they're actually recruiting relief milkers. They're recruiting relief milkers. Anybody who can act as a relief milker on a farm, um, you know, who can actually help the farmer out in case they have employees who are going out because they're sick or the farmer themselves is going out, they're sick. They've launched a program where they can actually um, provide these relief milkers to farmers, and from what I understand, it's no charge to the farmer themselves. They're actually paying it, um, from what I understand, they're paying it through, um, through an emergency fund that they set up for farmers. So that's a really interesting, um, really interesting wrinkle to this. And, and this is specifically for Vermont. And this is for organic and conventional farmers up there. Um, dairy farming is huge in Vermont. So um, that's, a really interesting, uh, that's a really interesting wrinkle and a really interesting way to, to
0: try to help solve the issue up there. I think it's um, fascinating that uh, it is. we are being flexible and looking at new ideas from unique organizations. I know the International Dairy Federation and National Milk Producers, all those groups, um, name your acronym or abbreviation, are very uh, concerned about all this and you bring up a good point Uh, the average age of a farmer is over 58 puts them close to the the high risk area social distance on a farm is probably a little easier than it is in some some businesses so that's helping but uh and and we'll talk we'll be talking with pj greeksport from kansas farmer momentarily about some of the issues with logistics um anything else you're hearing in terms of um uh, just the specialty crops, too, because one of the things you made the comment seven days a week, there are people probably listen to this podcast that don't always farm and, and wonder why you need workers seven days a week. But I tell you what, when the peaches are ready, the blueberries are ready or the apples are ready, you keep harvesting, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, you definitely keep harvesting. And and
2: that work, you know, that <laughs> all that work with these specialty crops, you know, it, it it's starting now. I mean, it really is going to start in the next couple of weeks. You know, a lot of the a lot of the the spring cleaning is going to be happening now. A lot of the weed work is going to be happening now. Um, you know, so so a lot of these a lot of these workers are going to start arriving within the next couple of weeks. You know, within within mid-April, you're going to see a lot of these workers here, and then the peak uh, of having a lot of these workers um, it really starts in June, and July, when a lot of these guys come up and they start working. You know, the strawberry fields and all that, and you really see the big peak. You know, this fall. Um, Because that's when, you know, New York is the second largest apple producing state in the country. So well behind Washington state, but still second largest in the country. And that's really when the peak of all that, um, of all that, uh, that's when the peak of of the H2A workers in this area is going to be. You know, what's really interesting is that I I did talk to somebody, another farmer yesterday, who said that this really creates an opportunity, and and it is true. This really creates an opportunity with, with all this, all this is going on creates an opportunity for, for people who currently are out of a job, there's a lot of hospitality people who are currently out of jobs, to come back to the farm and probably take a job. Um, farm jobs are not, you know, they, they contrary to, to what most, to what a lot of people believe, farmers do not pay under minimum wage. Farmers do not pay just minimum wage. Farmers actually pay decent wages. And you know, this could be an opportunity for, for local people who are looking for a job, um, you know, who, who who need to find something quickly, especially if they have a family to support, um, you know, um, there's lots of specialty farms out there, and this could create an opportunity for, for, for some people who, who really need something, who have been laid off from their hotel job, laid off from a restaurant job, laid off from, you know, whatever other type of job that they, that they had had prior to this, to work on a farm and help the farmer out. Um, you know, that, that, that definitely, um, creates an opportunity there. So we'll just have to see how this works out. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think farmers, you know, and and you know this, Willie, I mean, I I think farmers for the most part, they, um, they're taking it in stride. Um, I don't think anybody's panicking, even on these specialty crop farms. Um, you know, I think everybody's just taking it in stride and and seeing what happens. Um, you know, I don't think the world is, is falling by any, (laughs) any stretch of the imagination. You just deal with it. And, you know, um, You know, we'll just have to have to see what happens and hopefully in a couple months, you know, this whole thing will be dealt with and uh, we'll have
0: all the workers and uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good It brings up an interesting point though you break, if you're looking at alternative workers like hospitality workers the farmer needs to reach out to them and use maybe non-traditional means of communication and I mean something as simple as going to the local hotel and putting a sign up on the office window that hey if you want some work I got apples to pick I mean yep farmers sometimes think about this labor issue and they need to think a little bit so outside of a box they've been working in and I think that's the one challenge that we'll be facing but we're all facing those challenges and <clears throat> we're not talking about my 401k plan so anyway the, uh, good to talk with you chris we've been talking with chris torres uh, editor of american agriculturist out of pennsylvania about the changing labor picture as part of the covid 19 issue good to talk to you sir and uh, i'm sure we'll be talking to you in future episodes of around farm progress have a great day hey you too we take our leave from the northeast and head west where rising concern about coronavirus and government action are taking hold Just what might that mean for suppliers and farmers? We talk with a Kansas editor as the new planting season closes in to get a sense of what's happening in the field. We're talking with P.J. Greekspor. She's the editor of Kansas Farmer uh, based out of Wichita, or that's where she is. But basically, she does cover the entire state. And let's talk about that for a little bit out in the Great Plains. P.J., what are you seeing? I mean, plant 20, hashtag plant 20, is supposed to get underway soon, especially out where you are. What are you seeing?
1: Well, we're seeing uh, people really getting ready to plant, and this year we don't seem to have some of the issues that we had last year. We've had a fairly wet winter, but it is not flooded by any means like we were at this time last year. So we're we're getting people that are getting kind of anxious. We're waiting for soil temps to come up a little bit more, and then I think in two weeks we're going to see the early birds out there um, in the field trying to get some, especially corn in the ground.
0: I have seen some early birds planting stuff in southern Illinois, so I know they're itching to go. Um, any sense on uh, what, how the COVID nineteen issue, coronavirus issue, is impacting the just the attitude about planting? Well,
1: there's there's a lot of concern. Uh, not so much now. Um, I talked to the uh, manager of the uh, Garden City Co-op out at uh, Dayton earlier, and he said that right now there's um, supplies on hand that are that are in the production chain already, they're a little concerned about what happens 60 to 90 days out if we get a shutdown in the delivery system somewhere, um, particularly as this as involves some of the chemicals coming in from overseas. If we were to get a lot of sick dock workers, in say the port of Houston where we look for a lot of this stuff to be unloaded and and make its way to our farmers in the Great Plains, uh, that could be a real issue uh, going forward. But for right now, they say for early planting, they've got supplies on hand already. They're already in the retail storage system. So 60 to 90 days from now, that'll be where the rubber meets the road. And they're also quite concerned about disruptions to the trucking industry, one of the uh, co-op managers said that they've had uh, difficulty getting supplies of dry phosphorus in for some reason and that prices have gone up a lot. And he is attributing it to the fact that there are only so many people who have license to drive trucks and there are supplies that are more profitable to haul than dry phosphorus. So we're seeing some disruption in terms of not, not having enough drivers or enough trucks. When, you know, every truck has got a load of PPE and face masks headed to New York, um, it's kinda hard to get somebody to bring a load of dry phosphorus to the middle of Kansas.
0: Right. And I just saw a release from the Fertilizer Institute and they're petitioning Congress to make fertilizer a Mandatory or priority product, and that's going to be an issue. You know, you bring up a good point about crop protection products and their availability. I've had a couple conversations with chemical companies during Commodity Classic, and they told me that we're fine for this year. Um, They're a little concerned about laying in stocks for fall and for 2021. Obviously, a lot of the basic stuff's made in China, although China's coming back up to speed. I mean, these are issues that are quite fluid right now. It does behoove a person. To lay in what they can without hoarding, I think that's the big issue. We don't want guys to go nuts and buy more than they need because they're just going to find themselves laying in cash they don't they won't be able to spend essentially, right? I mean, that's my other worry.
1: That's that's the other thing. Uh, Jared Baker over at Scott City, um, he said that um, he's been urging people to have a sixty day supply on hand, and he said, but I'm really cautioning people. I'm I'm saying it'd be nice to have a 60 or even a 90-day supply on hand, but if everybody tried to do that, uh, we would create an artificial shortage, kind of like toilet paper is right now, uh, in in our urban areas. Because we don't have, if everybody tried to stock up, we don't have the supply for everybody to to stock up. We do have plenty to meet the expected demand for at least the first round of planting season. Now, when we get around to double-crop soybeans behind wheat harvest, we may be looking at, at, at another situation. However, there is a, a second concern that um, a couple of people have brought up, and that is all the travel disruption and what's happening to our seasonal H2A workers that we look to, um, to as seasonal help. And those people are having trouble getting flights into the United States. Mexico is still processing H-2A applications, but now the whole process has got this social distancing mandate in it. And they're saying that we could see some H-2A workers just not make it into the country.
0: Right. And And Chris Torres and I Chris Torres and I had that conversation right ahead of this part of the podcast where we did talk about the labor and it is a significant issue. And the Farm Bureau Federation has uh, stepped up to work with Congress and USDA to help get past that problem. I am hoping that in another week or two, we'll have some, some significant clarity on h2a since more than 90 percent of our workers come in from mexico but yeah what i'd like to dig in with you a little bit more on as we talk about the the supply situation is the one area of supply that i probably want to lay in is diesel um Mm -hmm. (laughs) oil's never been this cheap or it hasn't been this cheap in 20 years are you seeing it that cheap uh for farmers to pick it up
1: yes and one of the one of the issues that farmers have is some of them have really good storage uh, facilities and some of them don't, yeah. and there are people that really wish they had a bigger tank on their farm pump um, because they would like to buy uh, you know, a, a larger volume than they can store. Now, I don't know if you can – can you forward buy diesel fuel and then have it delivered at a well, later what... date?
0: A lot of times what happens with diesel and co-ops have been doing this for a while is that the diesel is delivered and and you pay market price when you use it. So it may be – so it's always on hand and then when it comes out, your meter's red and you pay the current market price. So guys will be able to benefit as they lay in stock during the season at the lower price. That's good news. Stocking up is nice, but like you say, the the distribution channel. I think the thing we're going to find here – and it will be hard this year, but I think long term it will be good – We'll be laying in a new set of understanding of logistical issues. Um, The very concept of just-in-time may get a little bit of flex this year, and and that'll be an issue because a lot of these suppliers – they build their stock based on capital capital requirements. They don't have money to sit around holding stuff. That's why stuff's supposed to be on a flow, and it backs up all the way to the original producer. So I think that'll be an issue, but I think on diesel, uh, yes, it's nice to lay it in, and the price is good. I think it's interesting. My wife saw gas under $2, and in Minnesota, that's where I'm based. That's a big deal. Um, and yeah. so – but you can't use it because you can't go anywhere. So it's like, why well, I'll eating? fill the car. It's a half eating? a tank. <laughs>
1: I had 80 cents a gallon off thanks to my uh, Dylan's fuel points and uh, filled up my SUV for under $20 yesterday. That was kind of a startling development.
0: You should have shared that on social media, just a picture of that, a picture of your big SUV and – and your $20 fuel bill, that's pretty good. Uh, that's really good. Um, but obviously, we're all amazing. on kind of limited travel. Like, that's a good question, too. You're talking to a lot of people. How are you dealing with working with farmers? I mean, are you getting out, and, and are you maintaining your social distance like you're supposed to?
1: I'm uh, I'm not as worried when I'm outdoors. Um, I t- tend to have six feet away from people uh, without any problem. And when we're in the open-air environment, I don't feel too concerned. Um, you know, we we had I was a little relieved that they canceled the three eye show. Um, uh, just because I wasn't sure I wanted to be handling stuff that somebody else had picked up and looked at and laid back down and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a little I think I'm more aware of what I'm touching than I've ever been before in my life. Uh, the other, other day at the grocery store I was wondering, should I take one of those towels and push those little keys on that? card reader machine i mean how do i know who touched it just before me <laughs> now two chemicals i have heard of that people say that they have a little bit of concern about because they know they're coming out of uh wuhan is uh paraquat and glyphosate and the suppliers here seem to think that that's the, that's the region. they know that's the region that the manufacturing is in and so they're Uh, They say that Wuhan is still very much locked down, even though uh, we're hearing that the epidemic is basically over in that part of the world. They're saying, not that you could tell from the video on the streets, there's nothing moving anywhere. So they're concerned, I guess, the Paraquat worries our cotton farmers more than um, anybody else. but.
0: We'll watch that. I mean, I think that's the issue that as we go forward with this new podcast, we're going to be watching those supply issues. I think I, I, I'm hopeful that a lot of the distributors laid in enough to get into spring and then we'll deal with mm-hmm. it from there. You're right. A lot of that's moved. Obviously, we're, there's a lot of talk about the potential for a lot of manufacturing shifting from China, which has long term economic ramifications. Uh, but the main thing now is guys are uh, here's the challenge. And uh, now um, I'm going to talk to uh, Mr. Tom Beckman about this after we're after this segment. Um, I can't sit in the coffee shop waiting to plant. Exactly. I'm sitting at home or I'm in my shop maybe with my son or my daughter and maintaining some social distance while I'm getting my planter ready. The nice thing is on these bigger planters, social distance is no problem. But it's like but um, (laughs) it does change the mental preparedness for planting.
1: And I think, you know, people are concerned, they are very concerned about uh, the people that deliver things, um, actually the sickness taking people out of the workforce. Um, We don't exactly have a a boundless supply of truck drivers as it is. And if we look at, say, a 30% infection rate, um, that puts a lot of trucks on the sidelines.
0: It could. As long as they don't get out of the cabin, you unload it yourself. That'll help. Um, Those are the issues that I think we're going to start seeing more of. Don't open your doors when you drop grain off. Pick it up at the dock. Um, Those types of things will be interesting, too. We've been talking to PJ Greeksport editor of Kansas Farmer, about getting ready for plant 20, as we like to call it, or hashtag plant 20 the excitement's out there. It's a little tempered now with concerns about what the future holds. Uh, The point now is to stay fluid, stay flexible, and keep in touch with your dealer by phone or email. And uh, PJ, good to talk to you. Have a great day. Thank you. From Kansas, we travel east to Indiana where the phrase social distance is getting some consideration. Just what does that mean for farmers? And is there a bigger concern? And listen to the end for a creative name for one home school. Talking with Tom Beckman, who's editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer. Tom, you and I have actually been talking a little bit or having an email exchange regarding social distance and what this actually might mean for farmers. As we talk about that today, you've kind of written something about that. What are you hearing from farmers and what are the things you're getting from your part of the world?
3: Well, Willie, I think um, the farm businesses are trying to um, be are trying to take it into account and do the best they can and like uh, i know a feed elevator well one i know of for sure i'm sure others are doing it uh it's a country elevator but a lot of feed business and they're doing what they call drive-through which hey, we're still going into the office uh, as you get close you call them they have your feed bagged up ready meet you at the dock and we'll load it for you and all you have to do is if you're paying You pay outside right there or else bill it, whatever. But so you don't make contact equipment companies. I know some, one of the large multiple dealerships is um, they're still open and they're still, you're welcome to go if you want. But they sent out notice to all their customers that there are other ways to order parts online or get even order service, file for service online. They'll come out to the farm and do this, do a service call without you having to come in if you don't want to. What, they're, what most of them are thinking about is there are several customers, and they don't want them to feel uncomfortable or put them at risk.
0: Makes perfect sense, and I think uh, we've heard from others that are saying that, like, if you're delivering grain to the elevator, they want you to stay in the truck. Um, I think farmers should be aware of that. I think this may change how we look at ordering. I mean, if I can use an online system to um, I still want to talk to my dealer, obviously, but uh, maybe an online system. And then I just drive up and it's sitting on the dock and I load my own truck, or maybe they come out real quick and drop it in. Um, how does, how do you think that changes how we might do business after all this?
3: Um, I think that uh, I think it'll depend on the person. I think for some of the uh Older generation, if you want to say the average age is in the late 50s, maybe from there on up, maybe still want to do things. They, this, this, there's always exceptions, but may tend to want to, most of them may tend to want to do things the way they did. But I think a lot of the younger ones are going to be more into ordering online, most the more, uh, if they're going to offer it, then they're going to do it. And, um, and like I said, there's exceptions. I could quote you exceptions either way, but, um, but like some of it is like really a service where you can call You can order your parts online. And, uh, you mentioned the curb pickup. They will, if you want, they will put your parts outside so you don't even have to see anybody. Uh, if you're really that concerned about it and going forward in the future, I'm in the middle of season type thing that might be a time saver. And they also have some, uh, this particular dealership has drop-off points beside their own location where a drop off for parts that might be so you don't have to drive to, the, to one of their stores. That stuff I think is going to happen, uh, is good to happen anyway.
0: Well, right. I mean, even my accountant set up an outside, a box outside their office so we could drop off our tax stuff and not go in. I mean, it's it's a smart well, move.
3: Yes, ours, ours canceled it. And to be honest, at first I was kind of put off by it because I got Um, tax is something that can be a little, you know, you want to make sure everybody understands what's going on, but the more you think about it, I do understand that that it's the need for it. So, um, it, you know, it is what it is. We're all dealing with, uh, with a different set of circumstances.
0: I think the one thing I think about in all of this was if this had happened 10 years ago, we'd really be out of luck. I mean, uh, the ready access of smartphones and email and the ability to do some online ordering or snap a picture of a part. If you're not exactly sure what the number is, snap a picture of a part, uh, transmit it to your dealer or even just a, a UPC code on a feed bag. This, I need 10 more bags of this. You don't have to type everything in. You can just send the, the UPC code and the dealer can look at it and go, oh, yeah, he needs 10 bags of the, you know, chicken feed or, you know, pig supplement or whatever. It'd be a lot easier than it would have been calling up and trying to talk a guy through it on the phone. They'd never get the, they'd never be able to service you.
3: Not as easily because I've done it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, but you're right. Uh, there's still I think there's still a lot of variation in uh especially here in, in indiana at least some of the rural areas are still cell phone service isn't as good i was just on the we were talking about this farm bureau uh, leadership and i were talking about this today that they're doing a lot of their stuff on trying to do their meetings online and in some places the cell phone service isn't even good enough let alone the broadband to have a to not have interrupted. call. but than in some places it is. But the governor today uh, mandated um, all Indiana schools are closed until May 1st. And uh, the irony is in my own county, there's a metropolitan school district that wasn't even set up to do e-learning. So now that they're really at a disadvantage, Um, some of the rural districts were doing e-learning and they're going to get credit for those days. The other, the ones that didn't, they're going to have to get together with the, the educational leadership at the state and decide, you know, what are we going to allow and what what can we do. So, yeah, you're right. It it, it is it's a whole lot different than if it had been ten years ago. Yeah,
0: well, and we're still, but we are going to uncover, and this is part of the the ability to be connected, the uncover the fact that broadband in the country isn't what it should be. And we've taken our eye off the ball to talk about 5G when we don't have 4G coverage. So I think that this is once we get past the initial press of what Congress is dealing with right now, these things are going to surface in the coming months after we get past the crisis. And hopefully that'll make some movement. Uh, One question I had for you is and and we've kind of touched on this. This is great. I can pick up my parts on a dock. I can I don't need to talk to you. I can send you a message. I never get to talk to anybody. It's lonely to farm now. Before all this, you know, you're in a tractor all day, you're with cattle all day, you're doing something by yourself. You try to connect at coffee shops or whatever, and now you can't do that. How are we going to keep the social part of agriculture alive, Tom?
3: Well, that's a big question, Willie. I don't think enough attention has been paid to that yet, obviously, because it's a secondary thing. But I think down the road, we're going to look back at it may be a lot more than secondary. It's not just the social Part I think it's mental stress and you know we thought we had uh, and we've been talking and writing about the mental stress in agriculture uh, for well over a year and the uh, prices have been on the low side for five to six years and just a lot of we think we had stress before and now we've got you can't you know you're not as you can't go to the places you went to to share with your buddies commiserate or whatever. Plus, prices have temporarily, at least, or even lower than we probably ever expected. All this extra stress is going to—it's going to uh, cause issues at some point down the road. And I think we need to be aware of it. State officials in Indiana are aware of it. They're definitely paying attention to it. They agree. They don't. You know, what do you do about it? Um, what they're doing is trying to preserve, at least preserve. They're trying to be ag's voice at the table when some of these big decisions are made uh, even statewide or nationally about what we're going to shut down, what we're going to allow, that agriculture is represented. We think it's bad now if they would go to something where we can't you know, hey, you can't be driving trucks and all this. And it may sound silly, but I'm not sure that it's as silly as it sounds if this deteriorates more. But agriculture, you can't uh, just – you can't just postpone planting for a month or you can't postpone. I can't postpone getting my feed for my sheep beyond. Uh, I got to have it tomorrow and yeah. I can't wait until Monday. So but all this I kind of got off the track there, but it's all kind of wrapped together. And I think stress and the the less social contact is something we're going to be talking about before this is all over.
0: I think we'll be using FaceTime more than we ever did. I think a lot of guys are going to learn to use FaceTime when they never had to before because you got to see people. You know, it's I'll nice to to. Into- yeah, I probably be one of them Willie. I probably be one of. I know I made you turn off your camera for this recording, but I understand right. what you mean and I'm going to have meetings with my own team here at Farm Progress and those listening farmers out there listening to this should understand. Anytime you can put a face on the screen is probably going to help a little. It isn't the same as being in the same room. It isn't the same as that 10, 20 minutes at the coffee shop, I'm being generous, uh, where you sit there and you get a good laugh. A good laugh with the group of people is so stress relieving. And I think that that's what the part I'm scared about the most, you know, as bad as it's been. I know that we can get together with a group of farmers and we can laugh our heads off over some silly thing or great story. And now we're losing that. So some of my tactics for people going forward are look at look at how to use FaceTime or the equivalent on your Android phone. And we use Microsoft Teams in our company, but Skype allows this. Skype is gives video calling on Android platform. That'd be number one. Number two, it's time to connect with all your dealers and all your suppliers and make sure that they have the system set up to communicate in ways that allow you to get what you need when you need it, uh, including making sure your credit facility is good so that you can just pick stuff up and pay for it that way. Getting out of the cab and bringing your credit card into the reader is not going to work, whether it's your, you know, uh, whatever. It's not always the credit card, but you know what I mean. These are things that farmers are going to have to keep aware of, too. Anything else that I should be, you've been thinking about when you're talking to farmers that we want to share here? I think right now I'm in the mode of sharing a little advice because, yeah, it's been seven years of stuff, and now this stuff. Has come up um anything else you're thinking about
3: no i think will it but i think uh I, I really i guess from my standpoint i'm serious about and, and want to emphasize this uh not just the social part but the stress part if you're having stress you know they keep telling us all wash your hands wash your hands well yeah we got to do that for the disease part but uh the stress part i mean um if you need help seek help they're Ask, get, call somebody, talk to them, whatever. But mm-hmm. kids are, uh, my grandkids happen to live with us and they're at home this week for, well, they're going to be home for the rest of the, sounds like for another month at least, and <laughs> learning. And um uh I'm kind of designated school principal, but it's like people aren't used to having this around. And, you know, sometimes all the noise and stuff from having kids around. And I asked my wife last night, is it possible to, You know, get sick from coronavirus without having the bug because you're just so stressed over, you know, situations you're not used to. So I think that's what we need to. If farmers can, if you're having these issues, seek, call somebody, FaceTime, like you said, learn how to do it. I think this stuff is more important. And you may be thinking we are crazy right now, but I think another couple of weeks of this and you're going to understand what we're talking about.
0: I do, too. And I think that you should seek humor out wherever you can and anything you're doing. And that's important. And so part of that is I'm going going to rat you out, Tom, on this podcast. I believe you're (laughs) the the principal of the Crazy Snake Homeschool. Is that not what it's called? Yeah, that's
3: that's right. They named themselves (laughs) yesterday morning. It's pretty appropriate.
0: I think so. But so, ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you in, somewhere in Indiana, <laughs> the crazy snake homeschool with Tom as principal, his wife, Carla, is a teaching assistant, daughter, Ashley, is as the teacher, and of course, all the grandchildren as the student population, which I think is fantastic. Yes, I think we need to look at where the humor is, take ability to step back, talk to people you can by phone, uh, do the FaceTime. Uh, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on this because we've had a rough time. We've seen a lot of farmer suicides. Uh, you got to talk to somebody. You'll get through this. We've done this. We've never done this like this before, but we're strong in agriculture and we can get through this. Good to talk to you, Mr. Beckman. I've been talking with Tom Beckman, editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer. Uh, Tom, great to talk to you. Have a great day.
3: You too. Great to talk to you, Willie.
0: A little humor goes a long way these days, and we appreciate that chuckle from Principal Tom Beckman, Indiana Prairie Farmer. Thanks also to Chris Torres, American Agriculturist, and PJ Greeksport, Kansas Farmer, for your insights this week. Thanks for listening to Around Farm Progress, our new weekly podcast, where we touch base with our editors around the country to get the latest information about what's happening on the farm. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines and the brands Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And let's not forget the Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.